and welcome to the Point of Care Ultrasound Certification Academy podcast, where we focus on POCUS. Here, we will discuss all things related to Point of Care Ultrasound, the practice, the trends, and its impact on healthcare. Our program will engage thought leaders who are defining global patient care with the stethoscope of the future. James Day here today, recording live from the Focus on Pocus studios. Today, we have Deborah Crotty as our guest. Deborah was a supervisor in radiology interventional lab and radiology and vascular departments and has worked in radiology, vascular, and cardiology ultrasound departments in many hospitals. She is our sonographer supreme. She has owned her own ultrasound imaging company for six years, providing cardiology and radiology with billing for ultrasound. Deborah was in clinical applications and was an ultrasound specialist for Philips and BK Anagoga Cooperations, where she also did some work in ultrasound research and development. She has covered a wide geographical region and provided POCUS training and has spent the last seven years doing demonstrations and installations and training for areas such as surgery and emergency departments, ICUs, units, anesthesia, and internal medicine. Her training sessions were done in many notable hospitals, mainly like Boston Children's, Harvard Hospital, Cleveland Clinic, John Hopkins, and Stanford. Deborah did gel rounds, gel, excuse me, gel rounds at hospitals with physicians training in areas of POCUS and has participated in state ACEP emergency educational programs. Also, if that wasn't enough, Deborah is a contractor for Butterfly IQ and has demoed this new innovative handheld device at American College of Emergency Physicians, ACEP, and the CCM, Society of Critical Care Medicine Conventions, to physicians practicing POCUS. Deborah, right now, is currently a consultant and independent contractor for Point of Care Ultrasound. Deborah, how are you today? Wow, that's pretty impressive. Thank you very much. It's, it was a, it's like get a life, right? <laughs> Do you, I guess you have but, no time uh, for hobbies or anything else. <laughs> well, I just passed my motorcycle license test, so I'm I'm out there. So I might need point of care someday. Who knows? <laughs> oh God, I hope not. Murder, we used to <laughs> call them, we used to call them murder cycles in the ER. But anyway, uh, so I'll go right to the questions here. So for okay for the new health care professionals and sonographers who are out there that may be using POCUS in the near future. Can you talk a little bit about POCUS? Absolutely. I first want to say I truly appreciate being invited here today to talk about something I'm passionate about. And I know there are Mm -hmm. many physicians out there listening that are well-versed in point of care, but I also know that there are still many that are uncertain about what it is and what it entails. And for me, it's like, imagine a world a medical world, then in less than 15 minutes, not only a doctor, but a healthcare provider properly trained can detect a life-threatening condition. And it's done for a fraction of the cost and at a fraction of the time. Well, it's here. It's called point of care. <laughs> point of care is uh, a limited bedside ultrasound, usually done five to 15 minutes. It's taking views of the heart, abdomen, pelvis, lungs, some of the vascular studies, and it's just um, a qualitative, not quantitative exam. 
We just do certain views to get an evaluation, like a triage of the patient. It was originally started in 2004 in Denmark in an ICU department, and then it came over to the States. Mm -hmm. What I see is, unfortunately, this technology is developing so much faster than training and certification, and many people aren't aware of the advancements of point of care. At the present, point of care is the fastest growing area in all ultrasound. Wow. And it's been that way for the past seven or 10 years. It's growing by leaps and bounds, and it's here to stay. And, you know, I would love, my mission would be to raise awareness of what point of care has to offer for everyone. This new technology can create opportunities, not take them away. And I'm not only talking about sonographers, but cardiologists, radiologists, um, I'll tell you, the emergency room was the first to use point of care. Mm -hmm. And this happened about 20 years ago. I remember them bringing in a machine, throwing it on the floor and saying, this is what we're going to use in the ER because it's sturdy. And we laughed at them. We thought, look at this monitor. Look at this machine. They can't do what we do. Well, look who's <laughs> laughing now. <laughs> I, I, think, I think point of care, the first, you know, the first stage is, you know, about truth is, First, it's ridiculed, then it's violently opposed, and then it's regarded as self-evident. And I'll tell you, I think the emergency department was a big leader, and I think they, they set the standard for other places in the hospital to follow as far as credentialing, billing. And you know, other areas in the hospitals that are doing this now are ICU, anesthesia, and now internal medicine's a big one. And there's going to be other areas throughout the world that are going to be you know, using point of care. Yeah, and uh, yeah, gosh, I remember uh, cardiology fellows, I would teach them a basic subcostal on a Hewlett Packard 5500. And I had a little preset called the residence preset button, but I was doing it mainly uh -huh. so they wouldn't, they wouldn't um, beat me over the weekend to come in to do it. So, and that was the 90s. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so, exactly. So can you give the audience and myself, uh, you know, a grand sweep of the future of point of care ultrasound? What do you think the future of POCUS is? Well, the future is going to be dynamic. First of all, you, it, what's interesting, and I had to look this up because I didn't believe it. Mm. Healthcare in the U.S. is the fourth largest industry. Wow. Bar none. Isn't that incredible? And physicians are becoming more and more accountable. Um, healthcare systems are becoming more complicated. In the U.S., we're spending 10000 per person. That's 18% of the GDP, which is the gross domestic product. Mm -hmm. And while two-thirds of the world don't have access to diagnostic imaging. So, you know, it's it's out there. It's going to be used in so many different areas, like in missionary work, military, cruise ships. Mm -hmm. I remember in the 70s when the Russians were up for a year at a time, when they came back, they were taller, thinner, and their muscles had atrophied. So I worked at Cape Canaveral then, and what they did, ATL put up an ultrasound machine in the shuttle. It was voice activated. And I really wonder if that's where point of care started. <laughs> 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 you know, and it's going to be used in ambulances. I mean, the future, I mean, you could go on and on, I think, but, you know, thinking about it and what, kind, you know, first it was initially used by physicians, but now the PAs are excited about it. You know, nurses doing dialysis, sonographers, midwives, EMTs, missionary workers. It's just 
unprecedented what's happening with that point of care in the U.S. And education for doctors now have really has really escalated in med schools. They did a pilot program at Harvard, and they liked it so well that now they're in, they're implementing ultrasound training in med schools. And the emergency departments now have fellowships for a year where they learn how to do ultrasounds mm-hmm. to contribute to the rest of the department. It's amazing, I think. Yeah, it's it's really exploded um, a lot more. And uh, as sonographers, it's nice to know that we were in there in the beginning. And I remember pushing a giant oven-sized machine down the hall and into the units and moving ventilators. And the technologists just shrunk more and more. So regarding technology, Deborah, you know, what about the disrupt, disruptive aspects uh, with the technology in point-of-care ultrasound? This is where things get exciting, exciting I think, in point-of-care. And first of all, when I heard disruptive, I go, oh, that's a disturbing word. I said, is that good or bad? And I think it's something the engineers brought up. I'm not quite sure. It's a big buzzword now, but I'd rather think of it as uh, – breakthrough, game-changer, revolutionary. And the description of, the, the, um, of a disruptive technology is one that displaces an established technology, shakes up the industry, or a groundbreaking product that creates a completely different industry. I know just recently in the uh, Journal for Critical Ultrasound, they talked about, is point-of-care disruptive? formulating why POCUS is different from conventional ultrasound. And it's interesting to read that. It's something Mm -hmm. you can look at. I think one of the most disruptive uh, things have been these handheld units that came out in 15, 2015. I don't know if you're old enough or have seen um, um, other repeats of Star Trek. There, Dr. Spock used the tricoder and he went over <laughs> analyzed what was going on with people and I, I honestly believe that was the first handheld one and it, it talked about it in the future and the future is here. These handheld units are smaller, faster, faster, cheaper, and getting smarter with artificial intelligence. There's four types out right now. The butterfly, Philips has one, GE and Claris. And I think this is the real stethoscope or something we're gonna have in our first aid kits in the future. The, the second, do you have any questions about that one? Or? Well, I just wanted to say that uh, I'm, uh, I'm actually a lot older. I'm more of a lost in space guy. So I, I, don't, rem- okay, so <laughs> I don't, rem- don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember the Star Trek. I remember Will Robinson and the robot. That was it. But, uh. <laughs> okay. The second thing I think is artificial intelligence, which they call AI. And it's done through deep learning using algorithms. Mm-hmm. It's almost the holy grail of diagnostic imaging now. And what it does, it's an area of research that has been FDA approved. There's, comp- there's two companies that do this, one in Israel and the other one called Bay Labs in the U.S. And uh, algorithms are basic building blocks of the computer. And in ultrasound, it's a math equation and flowchart done, done by tens of thousands of tracings of images, teaching the computer to understand exams or to think like a sonographer. Ejection fractions can be done now just with clips of the heart with two views. An evaluation of the IVC and the outflow track all can be done with, you know, AI now, which I think is 
you know, for an end user that's not really good at doing the heart, this really helps things out. And uh, also, artificial intelligence can tell you if the, like the parasternal lung is good or bad and how to fix it. Um, in, in medicine, this technology can be more accurate than radiologists. Actually, they did a, a study and had a radiologist define tumors and the computer define tumors. And guess who won? Oh, boy. <laughs> the, the, the computer. And uh, is it going to replace the radiologist? Of course not. But it might be a virtual radiologist assistant. After all, you can't sue a computer, right? <laughs> That's right. And you know something else? I'm, I'm glad that AI is doing the, the ejection fraction because, you know, tracing that endocardial you know, architecture and then trying to do a bullet or right. a Simpsons, that, that was uh, always interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and it took time and, you know, yeah. or the, or the, otherwise you did like a 3D image and you'd have to do the Simpsons in two different views. So I think this, and you know, if you look online under, you know, this company, it tells you a lot about this new um, technology that's out there. It's, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's going to make it easier for end users to do things that, you know, it's taken us years to learn how to do as sonographers. Yeah. And then you talk about all about the storage and and stuff like that, the, you know, the cloud, iCloud and everything else. Oh yeah. That's another thing we know now they have. HIPAA-compliant apps. They have HIPAA-compliant clouds for storage. You know, we have to have EMRs, which is uh, electronic medical records, you know, for not only, um, you know, the patient information, but for images. So that's come about, too. And another disruptive, which is kind of old, is teleguidance. But what what they're doing, and they've used this in veterinary medicine a lot, they'll do a dog and then they'll send it to a cardiologist or radiologist and have it read. But they do it, you know, when you're on call. But what they're doing now, they're showing the image that you're scanning. They show the transducer in your hand and Mm -hmm. a sonographer can tell you how to make the image better. So that's where sonographers come in and help. Or else, the reading physician can give the report right then and there. So teleguidance is being used in these handheld ultrasound machines more and more. And the fourth thing I want to talk about is chip technology. And this is technology that they use in your phone, your computer, and your digital cameras. It replaces the traditional transducers with the piezoelectric crystals. It replaces the ultrasound system. And it's all done on one single silicon chip that has 9,000 programmable sensors. So there, it's unlimited where that's going to go. It's affordable and portable, and everything is put into the cloud and powered by artificial intelligence again. It's amazing. I know, isn't it? It's it's scary, and it's amazing. (laughs) In our lifetime, I mean, yeah. So, you know, let's talk about some down-to-earth stuff. So we come down from our cloud here, you know, uh, sonography Mm -hmm. cloud, and talk about sort of um, the billing. You know, what is the status of billing that you've seen in in your many travels around the country? Well, I'll tell you, since I build, um, this is kind of an interest, especially for me. And once again, the emergency department has really been almost like, the department that sets the standard for others to follow. They mm-hmm. have to be credentialed. The fellows in um, the ER have to be credentialed when they do these exams. And what happens in a hospital setting, you have CPT codes and you have diagnostic codes that you have to choose from 
to be able to get the CPT code paid for by the insurance company. The billing has two components. It has the professional component, which is the doctor that usually is reading. And then it has the technical component, which is who owns the machine. So in a hospital setting, the hospital bills for the technical component and the doctor's bill for the professional component. And the ER has established um, codes that are done for like fast exams, aorta, and things like that that they do, mm-hmm. where initially they were doing all these exams and not getting paid for it. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting. And I think it's a blue ocean out there, really, because when you do an ultrasound scan in an outpatient facility, Medicare, which is really kind of the governing governing um, entity when it comes to billing, they're the middle of the road pay-wise, but they kind of govern what the more expensive insurance companies will pay versus Medicaid. But when you have a, a patient done in an outpatient setting, if you have two ultrasound exams, they'll pay full price for the first one and half price for the second. Mm-hmm. Now, when they do this port of care billing, they have like a cafeteria style in the hospital and they get paid sometimes limited, but they get paid for those exams. So what I am curious to see what happens when point of care is done in missionary work, in the military, and these other places outside the hospital setting, are they going to bill? Who's going to certify them? Are they going to be supervised by a physician so they can be billed like an IDTF, which is a mobile company that is independent from a hospital, but they still have supervisors like radiologists and cardiologists to supervise the exams being done. I think it's going to be real interesting to see where this goes in the next five or 10 years. Yeah, I got a quick question for you. Um, sure. You know, I'm, th- I'm thinking of this, the patient comes in, uh, they get a standard POCUS exam by the physician to answer the question. Like this is an ER scenario. And then, um, so that's a full payment. And then if they recommend a follow-up done by a sonographer, the full exam, that is paid only half price. Is that right? That's, no, that, this is a good question because a lot of times when they're doing you know, right upper quadrant, left under upper quadrant, they're billed limited. Mm-hmm. Now, if they see something, they're directed to the radiology department and they're, they do a, a full quantitative, a full exam, and they're, bill, they're billing for the full abdomen and they can both get paid. I see. Okay. There's some questions and what goes on. And, you know, I remember I was in an ICU department one day and I was doing an installation and this cardiologist came up and was really upset about them doing the cardiac exams. And I said, first of all, at that time, we don't get paid. We're going to send them to your department for the quantitative, you know, the report package, things like that. We're just, we're just using it as a triage. And he was rest assured. But that is pretty much what's happening. And, and like I said, it's still, a lot of stuff is still in the gray area, although the emergency department has really stepped up with this and uh, they've been doing it for 15 or 20 years now. But billing is an important area, and we're, I, I'm going to see what happens. It's, it's going to be interesting. You I know, think. one of the things that I'm always wondering what's going to happen is uh, if the state, the insurance company mandates a specific certificate or credential before they'll pay. Because I remember at one time when I was mm-hmm. a sonographer, uh, I don't know if it's still true, but in the lab, you only needed one sonographer to be credentialed. And the other Correct. ones, I, is that still the thing? Yes. Right now, to bill, like mm-hmm. say with Medicare, either everybody's registered and 
in um, maybe ECHO, or you can have a certified department where one person's registered and they oversee everything in the department that's certified. Now, reading, at least in the state of Michigan, you don't have to be a cardiologist or radiologist to read an ultrasound. If it's done in your office, you can read it yourself. Hmm. So it's interesting what's going on in billing out there. And like I said, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in point of care because people want to be able to pay for what they do and what they buy. Yeah. And I was wondering about, um, I wonder how they're going to handle that with, like, say, an ultrasound-guided procedure. Will that ultrasound be a part of that billing in addition to the actual procedure? I think, you know, I was reviewing this, and I think there is a, a CPT code for ultrasound guidance of placement of catheters. Mm-hmm. And, and they can put a modifier on maybe they attempted and couldn't do it. That's when they put those modifiers on the CPT codes. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds whew, complicated. Uh, billing in diagnostic imaging is an art. I had to go through three billers before I found someone that I liked because you can bill and you can go to school, but diagnostic billing is a different ballgame. Right, right. Wow. Yeah, I guess they'll get it all ironed out eventually, how it's where it's moving to. So I guess yeah, we're, yeah, 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 it's great. You're, you're actually our first sonographer on our podcast here. I'm glad to have you, Yay! <laughs> first but not last, right? <laughs> yes, yes. We've got a lot of people uh, on the podcast. So, wow, a lot of information to thank. And, uh, Deborah, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here on today's show. And, and I appreciate the audience for listening, you guys. And uh, don't forget, we've got even more Pocus Talk. You can follow us on Twitter at Pocus Academy and on Facebook at Pocus Cert Academy. And Deborah, wow, it was an honor to have you on our podcast today. Thank you. It's my pleasure, and everybody fasten your seatbelts with point of care. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you take it easy. <laughs> okay, thanks. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, Focus on Pocus. Be sure to tune in with us next week for more interviews with thought leaders that are on the forefront of global point-of-care ultrasound. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests and not those of Intellios. This podcast is for information purposes only.